right, church, let's meet together at Romans chapter 16 in our Bibles. Romans chapter 16, I think there are probably many places in the Bible, New Testament and Old, where we could illustrate the principle that is our theme this evening. But we'll take our text tonight from Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Romans chapter 16, and this is the end of, of the greatest doctrinal treatise he ever written on the gospel of Christ. In the book of Romans, mighty important in laying a foundation for our faith. And the Bible says here in Romans chapter 16, and it's a, of course a benediction of sorts, and it's a missions passage. And actually I think that, that you can read the entire book of Romans through a missionary lens It's got a great deal to say about missions. But the Bible says here, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith Okay, and then there's a colon. Now realize it's a benediction, but these words in verse 27, these are not vain words. This is telling you the whole point of missions. (laughs) To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Amen. What we've tried to do, or what I've endeavored to do in our time together... Beginning from your, from your theme passage in Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 2, where this gospel tent is being, the curtains of this gospel tent are being stretched out, and we're, we're charged to, to spare not, but to lengthen our cords and to strengthen our stakes. And so we came to one corner of this tent, and, and this is the application that I've taken. Uh, We're looking at taking the hammer of God's word and strengthening the stakes of biblical motivations for missions. And at one corner, we looked at the need of humanity that calls you and I to a compassion for sinners. The people we're around day in and day out, we've got to see souls. Souls. This is part of the motive for missions. We do not want perishing sinners all around us to miss out on the opportunity to be reconciled to God through the gospel of Christ. But even when, even when our compassion ebbs, even when we're in a low state, you might say, in terms of our concern for the lost and dying world around us, we have an unchanging command from our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it demands from you and I loving obedience. And we should be motivated to obey the last marching order of our Savior, the Great Commission. And then as we looked at this morning, there also is out for us in the future the judgment seat of Christ that holds out the promise of reward for being a part of this work of worldwide missions. And I'm not suggesting that all of these missionary motives are necessarily equal. And I'll be honest with you, I doubt seriously that any, in, at any given time that we can consciously distinguish in our own hearts between these motives for missions. I mean, they're all there. 
And I think that's the idea, and, and, and collectively, you, you, can't, you can't point to one stake or another of this gospel tent and say, well, I can do without that one, or maybe this one's more. It's, it doesn't really work that way. It, all of them are necessary to keep, this, to keep this gospel tent moving forward. We've got to strengthen these stakes. But this fourth and final tent stake, I think that it's safe to say, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to drive this home tonight. I think this is the greatest of them all. I think that this, if this stake comes loose, we are sure to end up with slack in every cord. And I speak tonight of the glory of God and of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Truth be told, this is at the back of every motive for missions. And when those other stakes become loose, <laughs> and when we don't find ourselves properly motivated for those other things... This one, this one always brings us back to the right perspective of our relationship to this work of worldwide missions when our compassion is shaken by the revelation that sinners are actually worthy of the condemnation that they've been appointed because of their sin. When that dawns on our hearts and our emotions are hardened perhaps against those sinners that we're surrounded with, our God is still deserving of glory and He's glorified when His gospel is preached to undeserving sinners. When our love for God is wavering and our obedience to Christ is threatened, our God and Savior will still be worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. And when we fail to be motivated as we should by the reward or loss awaiting us at the judgment seat of Christ, all the inhabitants of heaven will still be singing the glorious praises of our God and King. It is the glory of God that undergirds these other motivations for missions. You see, the Great Commission is initiated by a glorified Savior that pronounces Himself to be the one who has all power in heaven and in earth. And how can we sustain our love and obedience to Him if we fail to behold His glory? I believe that a compassion for sinners and a desire for the glory of God go hand in hand. And if one goes away, then the other one is going to suffer. It is, it is a longing for the glory of God that compels mercy toward undeserving sinners for which Christ died. We, we mentioned Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 this morning. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name. That's the motivation for our service. He has promised reward to you and I who have, to anyone who has made a sacrifice, who has left houses or lands or relatives for his name's sake. And when we come to the judgment seat of Christ, what is at issue is of what sort our work was. Was it laid in the only foundation, Jesus Christ? You know, uh, Brother Dobbins mentioned it this morning, and it's so true. When you think about receiving those crowns, and you know the New Testament speaks of five different crowns, and we presume that these crowns can be, can be received among the rewards that are doled out by our Lord Jesus Christ at His judgment seat. But what good are those crowns ultimately? Well, I know when the Lord Jesus Christ comes the second time, He is crowned with many crowns. 
And I see a picture at the end, toward the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 4, as those 24 elders fall down before the one who sits upon his throne, and they take the crowns from their heads, and they cast them at the feet of him who sits upon the throne. I heard a preacher tell a story. He's in heaven now. Uh, long, long, long time ago in the U.S., they had, they had what they called five and dime stores. These were, these were very small uh, 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 amounts of currency, and, and you could buy much more with much less back in those days. And uh, this father, he, he, was, he, he, he took his children to the five and dime store, and he gave each of them a certain amount to spend in this store. Perhaps they had even saved some of their own money. But he reminded them as they got out of the vehicle at this, at this little store, he said, you are welcome to spend your money on anything that you choose. But I just want to remind you that mama's birthday is Sunday. And so the children go in and, and, and most of the children are shopping for something for mama and one of the little girls finds a beautiful card that she gets for mother and another little boy finds a flower that he gets for mother and uh, several children and, and the youngest one, she finds out how much candy, how, let's say gummy bears, how many gummy bears she can buy with all the money that she has. And they get back, they get back in the car. This is, this is a true story as it was told. <laughs> And, and they get back in the car and everybody, they've spent most of their money on mother except for, except for the youngest one. She's got a bag full of candy and all the other children are saying, oh, come on, share with us. We, we'd like one too. And she's like, nope. <laughs> I'm not. Until, until Sunday. And then those children line up before mother and one after another brings their gifts except for that youngest one she's in the corner crying I wonder I wonder if there'll be some at the judgment seat of Christ in the corner crying because they took what they had and they squandered it and they have nothing to give the one who has sacrificed so much for them yeah at the end of the day it's really not about your reward or mine at the, at the end of the day, it's about him receiving his reward, the reward of his suffering. The glory of God is easily the greatest of all missionary motives. And it's the, it is a stake driven into the bedrock of God's glory, of God's person, of God's character. I have a friend that serves in West Africa, in the country of Sierra Leone. Now, I don't know if you have... Ever studied anything about Sierra Leone or if you're familiar with that place at all? But third world does not describe adequately Sierra Leone. A war-torn nation, they're known for civil war, hacking each other up with machetes and Ebola. That's, that's what Sierra Leone is dignified for over its recent history. And, and this dear brother, you know not all of the missionary heroes, not all, we, we saw not all the missionary heroes died 100 years ago. They're still among us. This dear brother came to the, he had retired from the Coast Guard. He had a nice, nice, uh, lucrative civil service job with the U.S. Navy. He was at a time of life where most Americans are thinking about spending time with their grandkids and doing a little traveling in, their, in the twilight years of life and, and basically living for themselves. 
And the Lord touched his heart about going to one of the most benighted places on the planet. And he went to take a survey of that country. And, and you know, God, he believed that God had worked in his heart a love for those people. And God can do that. God can work in your heart. That's where compassion for sinners comes from. But he went and, and, and he, found the, he found the conditions of the country deplorable. And he found the people very often deceitful. And at the end of that at the end of that survey, he was struggling. <laughs> He's walking down the road, open sewage on both sides of the street. He gets to the room where he's staying. And after his heart just being burdened, not for the people, <laughs> but for the difficulty of the task. And I remember him telling the story, and I don't know that I could quote him precisely, but I remember, I remember him describing him getting on his knees and saying, Lord, I don't believe that I can come to this place for these people. And he said it was as if the Lord spoke to his heart and said, can you come here for me? And that's what it comes down to. There's a... Somewhat famed missionary, certainly a great preacher. The Christian Missionary Alliance that worked in North Africa many years back by the name of Paris Reedhead. And he describes a similar crisis that he went through in the course of his missionary career. And, and he, he, he thought, he thought, I'm going to go to these benighted people who are in the darkness of sin. And they're just waiting for someone to bring them the message of the gospel. And they're going to be so grateful when I get there. And they're going to be so happy when I tell them about God. And then he got there and he found out that they already knew about God and didn't want him. And he has that agony of soul about his place in that mission. And, and in a similar situation, on his knees, pouring out the bitterness of his heart before the Lord about these evil people that deserved their condemnation. He said, it was so plain the Lord spoke to me, not in an audible voice, he would say, but... The Lord spoke to me, I didn't send you to Africa for the sake of the heathen. I sent you to Africa for my sake. They deserved hell, but I love them. And I endured the agonies of hell for them. I didn't send you out there for them. I sent you out there for me. And that's what missions is about. Ultimately... It's not about the heathen. Ultimately, it's not even about the command. Ultimately, it's not about what rewards you may earn. Ultimately, it's about the glory of the God of the whole earth. Amen. See, if you can step back and look at, the, look at the larger picture of Scripture, it is all about the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Why did God choose to create something when there was nothing? I'll tell you why in a nutshell, for his own glory. Because the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And when God made everything the most important, the most significant, the most meaningful, the crown of his creation on day six was a man in his own image. And he told that man and his wife to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth because he had a desire to fill this newly created earth with his glory stamped 
upon men and women with his image. And you know what happened. In, within just a few chapters, far from filling the earth with his glory, the earth was filled with violence, right? Because sin marred that purpose for the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? Sin is the thing that disrupts, disrupts the glory of God. But God had a plan to recover his own glory. And so he came himself. God manifest in the flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld what? His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and through the grace of God, the Savior that was crowned with glory and honor has now tasted death for every man that he might bring many sons to glory. And he does this, he does this through the gospel. Now the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, is shining into the hearts of darkened sinners to bring life and immortality to light through his gospel. And now we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Through the gospel, Christ actually comes to dwell in the body of the believer. That is amazing. Let us, not, let us not hear it so frequently that it becomes familiar and casual and novel. No, God lives under these buttons right here. I can't get over it. I don't need to get over it. This is the hope of glory. I've got no hope in myself. You've got no hope in yourself. It is in Christ. That is where the hope of glory is at. And it's been restored to you and I by Christ in you. And now through the work of justification, that image that was lost, or we might say marred in man because of sin, that image is restored inwardly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3, 4, and 5, it's restored inwardly through justification by a new birth. Now we have Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, living on the inside of us. And through progressive sanctification, by the growth of grace, as we desire the sincere milk of the word, we are, through the power of the Spirit, changed from the same image into the same image, from glory to glory, right? And we are waiting. This is the blessed hope. We are awaiting our future. The word is glorification, justification, sanctification, glorification. We have the promise of future glorification. We're, we're delivered from the bondage of corruption and brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And that glorification is going to take all the sufferings of this present world and it's going to dwarf them. Such that they're not to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us when we are finally and forever conformed to his image. Amen. Never to break his heart again. Never to disappoint him. Never to deprive him again of his glory. That glory will be literally stamped upon us in every way in fulfillment of God's original purpose to glorify himself in creation. That's the plan of redemption. It is all to the glory of God and that is the work of missions. 
That's why, that's why we long to see people saved so that they might be justified, that the image of God might be restored on the inside, that gradually and progressively it might be manifest on the outside so that they might go forth and reproduce and that it might go on and on and on until we see Him coming, in the, uh, coming to, this, to the edge of the atmosphere, until we hear that last trump, until we're caught up and changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye to be just like Him and we will forever, ever, 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 ever more glorify his wonderful name. And listen, church, to, this is the longing of every submitted heart. It is to glorify God. And we don't want to wait for the rapture to do that. God forbid that is our purpose in life now. And at least part of that purpose is discharged in this work of worldwide missions. Your pastor, in introducing this theme, he mentioned, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he mentioned David Brainerd, who just burned out for God at the age of 29, a missionary among the American Indians. And his final journal entry, just one week before entering into God's presence in death, he wrote these words, My soul was this day at turn sweetly set on God. I longed to be with Him that I might behold His glory. Oh, that His kingdom might come in the world, that they might all love and glorify Him for what He is in Himself, that the blessed Redeemer might see the travail of His soul and be satisfied. That's the longing heart. That's the longing of the surrendered, submitted heart of the child of God. I mentioned John Payton and some of the things that he endured, some of the sorrows of death and loss that he endured as he sought those Cannibal, those depraved cannibals of the New Hebrides Islands. Years later, I told you about being chased away by the Tannese and later settling on the island of Aniwa and seeing nearly the entire island converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reported, he reported his feelings as the newly planted church took their first communion service together. He said this, I love this. He said, for three years we had toiled and prayed and taught for this. At the moment when I put the bread and wine into those dark hands, once stained with the blood of cannibalism, but now stretched forth out to receive and partake emblems and seals of the Redeemer's love, I had a foretaste of the joy and glory that well nigh broke my heart to pieces. I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus himself. Ah, what glory. <laughs> it's the glory of God that truly puts every sacrifice into its proper perspective. Now, many of you have probably, have probably heard this. I, I believe it's, by the way, I, I think I, I've, I've mentioned some of these missionary heroes. My all-time favorite missionary biography, which, which Brother Dobbins recommended to me years ago, is To the Golden Shore. It's about the life of Adoniram Judson. I remember the night that I finished reading that. It was actually early in the morning. It had so arrested my heart. And I, and I closed the last page and I thought I'd been in the presence of greatness. It's hard to explain. You, ought to, you, ought to, you should avail yourself to reading about such men. We know, we know about movie stars and singers and athletes and... Many of us have never connected to our inheritance in the body of Christ. And the great saints and martyrs that have gone before us 
and actually lived for the glory of God. Adoniram Judson was one of those souls, and he famous, famously wrote to Deacon Hasseltine to request the hand of his daughter Anne in marriage. And he wrote this letter. It's, 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 it's quite famous. You, I'm sure you've heard it. It's, it bears repeating. He said, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from the heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? The glory of God. To close, I'd have you to join me over in the book of Revelation chapters 5 and 7. And I want to bring your attention just for a moment to, to a couple of scenes from the end of the story of missions. In Revelation chapter 5, I think that we could begin reading in verse 9. There is, there's this book opened and John is weeping because there was no, found, no man found worthy to open that book and the seven seals thereof and all of heaven. And then the Lord Jesus Christ steps forward. The, the, the lamb wounded. <laughs> and they said, weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof in verse 5. And this is what takes place as, as the lamb that was slain begins to loose those seals. In verse 9 it says, and they sung a new song saying, now think, think with me, we're going to join this song someday. And we have the opportunity to take some with us. Saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, what do you think they're doing in heaven right now? We imagine to ourselves that there'll be this grand welcoming committee that shows up to greet you and roll out the red carpet when you breathe your last. I like what Brother Gibbs said one time. I think when you get to heaven, you're just going to see a lot of backs. Amen. Because everybody in heaven 
They're not concentrated on you. They're not concentrated on me. They're not concentrated on Judson or Peyton or Brainerd. They're concentrated on the lamb that was slain. And they're saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And that's why we need to be a part of this thing of world missions. Similarly, in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations. That's the idea. It's to get everybody there. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. pastor mentioned the Moravians and that 100-year, 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting that went from a congregation of 300 to some years later, a congregation of 300 with 300 more on the foreign mission field. Wow. Of course, that, that developed around a man by the name of Count Zinzendorf. This is in the 1730s. And at least the, the missionary impetus... It, came out, it was birthed out of revival. It was birthed out of prayer. But it was also birthed out of an exposure to needs. And the particular exposure of which I speak traces to, to a visit that Zinzendorf made to the court of the king of Denmark. And he met a servant of the king there by the name of Anton. And Anton was there from, from a group of islands now known to us as the Virgin Islands. And Anton told Zinzendorf, Anton's ancestors had been taken from Africa as slaves to farm sugarcane on the Virgin Islands. And Anton told Zinzendorf of the plight of his people enslaved on the islands of St. Thomas and St. Croix with no real gospel witness. And the Count's heart was moved so much so that he said, Anton, I want you to come with me. Let's go to Hernhut. You, you have got to speak to our people and tell us about this need for the gospel among your people, among your countrymen. And so the count brought, excuse me, yeah, the count brought Anton there to Hernhut. And he told of the need of the people and made a plea for laborers. And, and it's a very interesting sidelight from church history. Frequently, the Moravians would have multiple people volunteer for missionary service and they would settle who went, who went by the casting of lots. I'm not even recommending that, but that's what they did. <laughs> the point is that you had multiple men, too many men surrendered to go and they had to choose and they weren't sure even how to choose because they had too many, many, they had too many missionary candidates. Well, the lot fell in this case to two young men, Johann Leonard Dober and David Nietzschmann. And these are famous 
Moravians in the course of Moravian history and missionary history and they volunteered for this mission and they were even willing as the story is told if necessary to sell themselves into slavery in order to obtain passage to the islands and in time, in time 29 Moravian missionaries went to the Virgin Islands of St. Thomas and St. Croix and by the way 20 out of the 29 perished of tropical diseases. But the story is told, and I I love this story, but the story is told of those first two young missionaries. This is what started the movement. Those two young missionaries boarded their ship in Copenhagen, headed for the West Indies. And a small group of their friends and relatives had gathered on the shore to see them off. Aware that they may never see them again. And the story is told that as their friends and loved ones gathered on the shore, one of those young men called out, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Do you know why we do this? So that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering because church he is worthy he is worthy would you stand together with me and bow your heads if the Lord spoke into your heart this last message of the missions conference now is a good time for you to respond he's worthy whatever sacrifice you might make for him He is worthy. Is this your frame of reference? Is this the thing that motivates you in this great work? He is worthy. Whatever He may ask of you, whatever financial investment that you make in the cause of world missions, Whatever sacrifices you might give in going to the regions beyond, even in transplanting your family perhaps in the uttermost part of the earth, what could we give to Him for which He would not be worthy? He is worthy! May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of His suffering. This is why we do missions. This is why we do missions. We try to take the hammer of God's word, drive these stakes deep into the soil of our hearts so that we will be faithful to obey our Savior's command, to exercise compassion toward hopeless sinners, to lay up treasure in heaven and receive reward instead of loss at the judgment seat of Christ. And that our great Savior might receive the reward of His suffering. I'm going to ask that the pianist come and play something just 
slowly and softly. I am in no rush at all. No rush at all to go to the next part of this service. One day, church, we'll, we'll be there in his presence. All we will think about as we gather around the throne is how amazingly worthy he is. Let it fill your soul tonight. Let it take captive your mind. Might it change you tonight from glory, the glory of a man, the glory of a woman, to glory. Oh, let it sink deep into your heart tonight. good practice for you come down front here fall on your face before God and just start getting ready for heaven say Lord this is this is how it's going to be me bowing down glory to God in the highest thank you Lord for redeeming me by your blood Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you for reconciling me to my Creator. For restoring what was lost in the fall when sin happened. For making it right. Unto Him be glory in the church. That's what it says. Unto Him be glory in the church. I don't know if He could have said it any better tonight. And I'll tell you why. You can't express the glory of God in any sort of perfect sense. You can't say all that needs to be said about it. But I believe tonight we got a taste. We, we got a taste. Heaven came down just for a few minutes. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That, that's, that's what Paul said. Unto Him be glory in the church.
Well, I'm so glad to be here tonight. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, anywhere else in the world right now. The only other place would be heaven. It's good to be saved. What an honor to be one of God's children. Behold what manner of love the the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. One day we'll see Him as He is and we'll be like Him. Thank you so much.